Welcome to the 58th episode of the ABC Pod, the adult book club where we drink and we read things. This episode features The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. Spoilers are between the 49 and the 1 hour 46 minute marks. We talk about how well Cronin developed his characters and the world he put them in, as well as how the twists and turns keep you guessing throughout. In spoilers, we get into the small and big reveals and give our thoughts on how it all came together and how well it was explained. We end with our usual segments and maybe a little too much Johnny Walker. So with that, let's hear it. Well, Tasha and Russell, they both love reading books. Tasha and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 58th episode of the ABC Pod, the adult book club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell. She is Taja. Hi. Hi, and welcome back, everybody, to the podcast where we drink and we read things. And on this episode, we read The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. It is a big book. It is going to be a big podcast, so buckle up, folks. But before we get to that, it has been two weeks. Taja, what's been going on in your life? Well, uh, last weekend, I went to Rutland and met up with our friend Nern, and we went to the twice yearly vintage market that we do. And then we check out a used bookstore situation um, in downtown Rutland and this amazing sandwich shop that's literally called the sandwich shop. And it's run by two generations of this one family. And the mom, who is 91, and she's a freaking whippersnapper, like taking (laughs) orders, cleaning tables, talking to us about cats and dogs. And she's (laughs) the cutest. And I really wish that Rutland wasn't like two hours away so that I could go to this place more frequently. Nice. Uh, Yeah, that was my weekend last weekend. Yesterday was burying my fourth wedding anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. And then tomorrow I'm going to my 20th high school reunion, which I'm kind of like about. (laughs) Um, And then on Sunday, we're doing a sort of family golf not tournament, golf outing with my parents and Barry uh, and I, and to sort of memorialize my grandpa who died on the golf course on that day many, many years ago. That you premonitioned as a child. That I, yeah, that I knew was happening from however many miles away in Vermont. Yeah, not creepy at all. Yeah, that's something that my uncle started doing is just playing golf on that day. To sort of memorialize him and then my aunt got involved and now it's like a big thing and koozies are involved and a cake <laughs> and we'd gone to illinois one year to to actually participate in it but now we just do it from from a distance nice that's a really cool thing to do it's nice to, yeah. to remember people you know yeah yeah it's fun hopefully we um do him justice and don't suck so we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> you know with golf it's just the trying that matters i will say i'm not going to yell at you i remember i yelled at you a lot at dragon con every time you brought up that you were going to your 20th high school anniversary or reunion because i think that's a terrible idea but uh you do you and uh, hopefully we get a good story out of it well i don't have history with like high school exes that you do so my high school experience um was different i did hate high school but i'm just kind of curious you know there are some people that don't live in this area anymore that i'd love to see and yeah i don't know and probably others that will be awkward but that's okay 
Hopefully it works out. I will say now that I haven't been on Facebook for like two years because I forgot my password and have no way of getting it back without sending them pictures of my like passport or ID, which oh. Facebook, you have enough of my information. Yeah. So it's nice not having that. But I will say like, we were talking this weekend actually with the guys and they kept bringing up names from our past and without seeing things on Facebook, there's so many people I forgot that I was like, I know this name. I can like describe yeah. what they look like, but who, like, I can't think of what their name is. And well, that's the weird thing about the social media situation is that like all of these people that I went to high school with that I am not actually in contact with yeah. um that maybe I would like to be you know that we were friends then and I could see us being friends now but they live elsewhere or whatever Facebook is a really I am definitely a self-professed stalker but it it's really nice to be able to feel like not that you're a part of their lives but you kind of know peripherally what's going on I mean however much they want to share on Facebook obviously is the, the right baseline but yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I was a click hopper in high school, so I like had friends in in different sort of circles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like most of the people that are probably going to be involved in this situation are from one circle, you know, like the popular people. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what sort of mix of people are there now and if the people that I think maybe peaked in high school did or if they've you know who knows so you're just going to get more dirt basically you want to i mean yes a a little bit so i thought it was going to be like a sit-down meal and apparently it's going to be what they're calling heavy apps which like i didn't know was a thing i'm assuming it just means that they're hearty or finger food i I can understand like sitting down is a little weird like it is like the standing up and mingling kind of idea Yeah, I mean, I was telling Barry last night because I discovered that it was this heavy app situation, which is just a term that I find appealing. But I was like, I'm kind of glad that it's not a sit down meal because how awkward would it be to be at a table with somebody that like you're not that excited about or or then you're I don't know, it would just be straight. I I pictured this like really long Harry Potter style table by everybody sitting at, which is not feasible. So like the, the apps and the mingling aspect totally make more sense so good oh. choice people who organized it <laughs> also easier to pull the ripcord oh we have to wait mm. for dinner no fuck this we're out yeah yeah i don't like it here i'm not yeah. having fun i gotta leave well uh, good luck with that I- i'm excited Thanks. to hear how it goes for you uh hopefully it goes better than mine so good luck with- again i don't have the i don't have the drama history yeah yeah i don't have a history in high uh, school i kind of kept my i was also back. a click hopper back in the day so mm. shout out us for once yeah again. man Sorry, was too so for me, it's, I was telling you this beforehand, I now have to like remember things based on who the Cowboys played that weekend. Uh, so two weekends ago, actually, we had a surprise elopement that we went to. Now, we heard about it about two or three weeks in advance, but our friends Soonish and Sarah oh. got married. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it was their three-year anniversary of the day they met, and they got married in the park where they met, because it was during COVID, and that was where they kind of went to see each other in public. So if <laughs> in a safe place. They were, you know, they could run away. Oh, my so God. They planned it originally to be like 10 people, and then Soonish was saying, he just kept being like, well, this person has to be there, this person has to be there. So it ended up being, I think, close to 50 or 60 people. That totally tracks for Soonish, I feel like. I can't believe he cut it down to that. <laughs> yeah. Few, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sully was the officiant. He did a great nice. job with it, as he always does. He likes to yeah. incorporate music and stuff. So uh, that was cool. And then afterward, 
afterwards, we went to a candle pin bowling place for the reception where they had a bar and we tried candle pin bowling and I got smoked by Sully. It was embarrassing. We weren't even playing by real rules, but the rules we made up, I also got smoked in. So that was <laughs> um, And then we got to watch the Cowboys and Patriots game, which was aside from the wedding, that was totally the highlight. It was also a highlight for me watching the Patriots crumble. Um, which they seem to be doing a lot of. It's lovely. Welcome Thank to our you. sports podcast. Thank you for coming to our sports podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking if they go back to running the three four, it will make a big difference. No, I don't even know what you're talking about now. <laughs> I mean, I do, but uh, but yeah. So that was that was that weekend, and uh, we went down to Boston and back, and it was on a Sunday because that was the day they met. So you know, thank you, Amanda, for being our sober driver. So. She got us back home in one piece. And then last weekend was the Chili and Beer Festival of Exeter that we went to. And this is something we had gone to, I guess it was six years ago, pre-COVID. And it's just in this park, it is really well done as far as just there's a, I forget how many beer people there are. There's got to be like 100 beer vendors there. And I feel like last time there was more chili. This time it seems to be like 10 to 15 chili options um, available that you could try. So That still um, seems like a lot. Well, you get like two ounce portion cups. It's not like oh. you get a ton. So like I didn't eat before we went there. And then after it's like, okay, let's go somewhere and like eat food. Because that wasn't. Oh, enough. wow. Um, especially with a day of drinking going on. So um, it was nice. It ended up raining really hard for 10 minutes, which was lovely. Uh, did you bring your raincoat? I did not. Of course not. I, it did bring a sweatshirt though. So that was okay. fun. And then it did thin the crowd a little bit. And then they had a band playing and they were playing like 90s. Like, like they played two, not one, but two songs by Bush. Name the last time you've heard one song by Bush. It was incredible. Wow. Quite a few like Tom Petty's as well. It was very random, not what you usually get from a house band. So it was a lot of fun. Nice. And they yeah. were good. They were good. They played for music. what they did. <laughs> you know, they're a great cover band for sure. Uh, and the outdoor venue set them up well. So it was fun. Nice. Um, and then on Wednesday, I went and hung out with Sully and we went skating. All right, it was the first time for me. He's been skating, but they have a rink over near oh, him nice. that does a free skate. So we wanted to get out on the skates. Like I was telling you before, we, we registered for our first pond hockey tournament in January. So time to start practicing, see how we're going to do. We're going to do poorly, but that's okay. So got on yep. the skates just for like 25, 30 minutes and my legs are killing me. <laughs> definitely feel like that's there's going to be some more growing pains with that but it was nice to get out there we also Sully decided that we could have a relaxing beer out on the ocean because he lives on the beach so he wanted me to take a kayak out and he was going to take a paddleboard so his version of me kayaking out was him standing up to his knees holding like the end of the kayak while waves broke over the kayak and just kept soaking me because we had to wait for the appropriate time for me to like paddle out to get past the breakers without them breaking on me. And he's like standing oh, there and he's like, these are like unseasonably big waves and they're just hitting me over and over again. And I think he no. was just doing it to torture me. And then no. we eventually get out there and the kayak has water in it. I'm fucking drenched. I'm cold because it's October and we're in the ocean. And yep. we cracked the one beer we brought. And he's like, let me know what's going through your mind right now. I'm like, I'm anxious. I'm cold. And I don't want to be here. This oh, no. Very relaxing. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah. Shout out, Sully. Uh, not always the best date planner. That's for sure. 
but uh, it, it was still nice to, uh, to to get out there and skate, even if I'm still paying for it. And the, the rest of it was the rest of it. So uh, that's about it for my two weeks. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. Like I was saying before, I feel like I'm booked for the next month of, of things. So planning to recap on future episodes and hopefully things to post to Twitter and Instagram. So if you aren't following us there, follow us at Adult Book Club 21. That is all one word, Adult Book Club, the number 21 on both of those things. And you can see just how much Johnny Walker Black Label I'm drinking for this extended podcast. It will be a lot. Spoilers. Yep. On that note, Taja, we get to the book, which is once again, The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. So The Ferryman is the sixth novel by Justin Cronin and his first since 2016 when he wrapped up the Passage series with the third novel titled The City of Mirrors. In between releases, the Passage series was picked up and developed for television by Fox, but like all sci-fi and Fox, it was canceled after one season. Now, we've gushed about The Passage before. It was one of our early random recommendations, and the show had just gotten to the part that was going to make it interesting and just cut bait, uh, of course. Which totally that's, tracks. That's what Fox does. They just screw yeah. everything up and then say, oh, it's not working and get rid of it. So I wish that would have been somewhere else to get a better uh, try. And also Mark Paul Gossler as the the main guy, uh, Grant, what was his name? Damn, I don't dead. remember. Wolgast, right? Oh my God, good job. Yeah, that he was great, I thought. Shout out, Zach Morris. Uh, aside from the Passage series, his <laughs> other two novels were titled... Mary and O'Neill and The Summer Guest. Those both came out pre-Passage series. I've never seen Mary and O'Neill. I did read The Summer Guest. It was okay. Uh, definitely not up to par with, with the other ones, which made me a little nervous about this book. But uh, having The Passage in between, I was like, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. So on that note, Taja, to get us started, if you want to read us the jacket, we'll get going. All right. Founded by a mysterious genius, the archipelago of Prospera lies hidden from the horrors of a deteriorating outside world. In this island paradise, Prospera's lucky citizens enjoy long, fulfilling lives until the monitors embedded in their forearms, meant to measure their physical health and psychological well-being, fall below 10%. Then they retire themselves, embarking on a ferry ride to the island known as the nursery, where their failing bodies are renewed, their memories wiped clean, and they are ready to restart life afresh. Proctor Bennett of the Department of Social Contracts has a satisfying career as a ferryman, gently shepherding people through the retirement process and, when necessary, enforcing it. But all is not well with Proctor. For one thing, he's been dreaming, which is supposed to be impossible in Prospera. For another, his monitor percentage has begun to drop alarmingly fast. And then comes the day he is summoned to retire his own father, who gives him a disturbing and cryptic message before being wrestled onto the ferry. Meanwhile, something is stirring— The support staff, ordinary men and women who provide the labor to keep Prosper running have begun to question their place in the social order. Unrest is building, and there are rumors spreading of a resistance group known as rivalists who may be fomenting revolution. Soon Proctor finds himself questioning everything he once believed, entangled with a much bigger cause than he realized, and on a desperate mission to uncover the truth. Wow. So So intense. Just be prepared for how long everything is. That was so long. I took a call from my dad because he called in the middle of that. Shut up. And I was like, are you okay? Is everything okay? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll call you back in a couple hours. I'm recording the podcast. <laughs> and I got back and I was like, man, I, I don't know how we're going to pick up on this. And you're still going. Oh, no, still going. Look at how chonky this is. It's it a chonky very, boy. Very chonky. So in all of that, I'm sure everyone heard about Proctor Bennett, who is our protagonist and <laughs> titular character as his job is being a ferryman. 
I was wondering what you thought about him. Um, I wrote down that I thought he was a gentle soul. He was a really good protagonist. I felt like being a ferryman's kind of his calling, which makes a lot of sense. But he was mysterious too. Like he, you could tell as the reader that he was kind of trying to figure out his own mysteries. Yeah, I thought he was really, he was engaging as the main character. Yeah, he was super likable from the start. Like, yeah. And that's something that, especially with the Fast and Series, Justin Cronin is very good at making you like his characters. Multiples. So like, he, he's very good at writing people from different places and whatever, and getting you to connect with them, getting you to root for him. And I think a big part of this was the prologue, mm. where we see through his mother's eyes uh, up until her suicide, where she kills herself by drowning, which is unheard of in Prospera, just how much she changed when Proctor came in. And so, like, he yeah. you kind of already get that warm, glowy feeling about him and what he's doing and, like, uh, seeing just the snippets of his life growing up through her eyes. And then he takes over in Chapter 1. I thought that was such a great way to, A, give us a little bit of that what's going on here taste with his mother and everything she goes through and, like, the the weird, uh, mysterious conversations kind of her and Malcolm, his father. Yeah. Have. Uh, we call them mother and father. They they brought on Proctor as a ward because they don't actually have kids in Prospera. They get yeah, and wards. Proctor comes to him as a or them as a ward at like seventeen. Like they're yeah. teenagers when they get reiterated. <laughs> Correct. We'll get more into that in the next question. But I just thought that was great how they how he set that up, and then we jump right into Proctor, and Proctor is immediately <laughs> a likable character <laughs> that you really want to root for. I liked kind of just what you were saying there where he could tell that there's something strange going on and Proctor's trying to figure it out there's something wrong with him like they talk about their monitors and how it basically with his job as a ferryman once your monitor drops below 10 percent, you are automatically retired which means you go for reiteration and come back as a new being and everyone's worried about their monitor number because they don't want to drop too low or like it's all about your health, both mentally, physically, et cetera. And Proctor's is just dropping kind of way too fast for how old he is and what he's been going through. So there's that confusion of what's going on. And then to top it all off, you have he just gets thrust into the situation with his father and having to go through that. And that it was just so quick. I mean, this is all the first hundred pages. And part of those 100 pages we spend with his mother and some of them we spend with Thea. So it's just very quick bang, bang, bang when you're with Proctor that it's like, he, I don't know, I immediately latched on to him. I, I was like, I know I'm going to like this guy. Well, and he his like role as a ferryman, I think, is very befitting his personality. Like he, he like you said, he's very likable. He has a very sort of calm way about him. And it makes sense that he would be somebody that would take on a role like this. And he's just very well suited to that kind of soothing other people in a scenario that might be uncomfortable or scary or whatever. He talks about how uh, they kind of test you for all this stuff to see where you would fit best in prosperity in society. And for him, it was like his emotional connections or like knowing the emotions of others were off the chart. And that does help with his ferryman duties because, well, for the most part, when people retire, it's their own choice. They still have those moments of breakdowns where they need somebody to, you know, see it coming or comfort them or just know what to do, what to say. And he is so solid as that. He is such a foundation for those people to lean against and stand on. It was just 
again, you, you couldn't help but root for him because it was so incredible. And then on top of that, then, so all this, we have this great guy. He's got this interesting job. He's keeping us interested, all that. You have his cryptic dreams, right? Where he's a dreamer, which is unheard of in prosperity society, almost to a point where like, if you are known to be a dreamer, you get sent to reiteration. Like that is so abnormal. It's like a sign that you are not correct. Something's wrong. Yeah, you're, you're standing out too much. And his dreams were so weird throughout. And you're trying to figure out what that means to our puzzle. From, from the beginning, like uh, when his mother talks about how he like threw the butter sandwich at the window or whatever, it, it just made me think of, I don't know if you've watched War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, where uh, I think it's Dakota Fanning, one of the Fannings is his daughter, and he's making her a sandwich and she's like, I'm allergic to peanut butter. And he just takes it and just un, like unreasonably throws it as hard as serious? Time, like, oh, it's so funny. And he's like, screams like, ah! what? Sandwich. It's a ridiculous scene. But that's all I saw. My head was sleeping Proctor just throwing buttered bread at, at a window or something. But there, it, again, it was like, we didn't have the full picture and neither did Proctor. And that made him the perfect base for us to kind of explore this totally. society, this world, everything, because it was, you know, like with all of Cronin's work we've read, you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on because this is very different from our world. Definitely. Yeah, he was... Um a great a great vehicle as you say so speaking of our world our location is prospera a mystical island separated from the world where you don't die you simply retire and are reborn i was wondering what you thought of our setting so i thought it was interesting because it seemed okay this is gonna sound weird it seemed realistic while also seeming unrealistic (laughs) that it would be so secluded from the real world that all of this stuff would be happening like I couldn't picture it coexisting with things as they are now it had to so in my head it had to be some other scenario like we kind of talked about before sort of like a Truman Show style dome or a post-apocalyptic like the rest of the world is straight up dead and they're in this like I don't know so it seemed unrealistic in that it didn't make sense in the context that I could relate to but it was definitely realistic in that the people struggling with the things that they were struggling with and the way people went about their lives being able to reiterate or not depending on where they lived and and the animosity from the people that lived in the annex to the prosperans like all of that seemed very realistic and made a lot of sense but then other parts of it i was like this is crazy (laughs) Yeah, for me, as we were getting into it, I was trying to place it kind of like you're saying, it was like, is this a biosphere? Is it something else? Like, what's happening here? I was thinking, like, is it like the island where we have, like, the, the movie The Island, where it's like we have separate bodies we're growing and we use them for parts or if something happens to our main host? No, it's not really like that. But just the idea of these people retiring and then coming back, uh, you know, a few weeks later as a whole new version of themselves that don't remember who they were before. So it's your chance to to live again and different than what was that book we read recently where oh scythe right so in scythe you would you would go back to 25 and start over but you would keep your knowledge and suddenly your grandmother is like younger than you or however that worked out she's on her 17th marriage whatever this was different where you could live 130 years or whatever but once you started breaking down then you would go back and you get reiterated into a whole new being 
uh, coming out as a 16 year old who would become a ward to somebody who then would create their own path and they would have no remembrance of who they were before. And it was interesting because they touch on that with the idea of echoes. Yeah. It's like they have that feeling of deja vu or something like that, where it's like, I think it's like a, a greeting they have where it's almost like, I think we knew each other before or something like that. I think we were friends once or something. I forget exactly how they phrased it. Well, and I think that that's a super interesting concept and part of why I feel like it smacked of realism in that if that was the scenario where you're being reiterated and you're losing your memories of your past life and you're starting fresh, happening across somebody that you were connected to in your past life totally makes sense that you'd have some type of echo or recognition or deja vu or whatever. And I really appreciated that it added such an interesting layer of complexity to relationships. And it was, I don't know, very well done. Something I am very impressed with about Justin Cronin, specifically with the passage and the other two books in that series, but this one as well, the immense amount of time he condenses into these books is insane masterfully done (laughs) yeah it's just it's another version of world building that he does where he goes through everything where this civilization has lasted again people are going for 130 years and you know people have been reiterated whatever so this is centuries old right idea of prospera and or prospera like he's just worked out the rules and the kinks and all that stuff and it's just it is it is a a testament to his writing and the way he does it that it, it it's makes sense it really does and some stuff maybe got a little confusing. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but for the scope of what he gave us and to put it in even a Chunky Boy book, to still have you come out of it being like, okay, a couple head scratchers, but it made sense in the end is really impressive. Crazy. I imagine he's got one of those like string walls <laughs> <laughs> yes. connecting everything together. Yeah. But that's also something about the book that felt, I don't want to say, unrealistic isn't quite the right term, but it was hard to come to grips with the trying to recognize how it fits, how Prospera fits with the larger world contextually. Like if you've got this place that these people are living hundreds of years in, hundreds upon hundreds of years in, how is it that the rest of the world is going about their business? You know, like it just, that part was always a sticking point for me. It just felt, because I couldn't lose that image of the Truman Show bubble scenario, but then it just seemed more and more unrealistic that 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 could exist. Yeah, I will say it's getting a little bit deeper into the book, but with some of the weather patterns they talked yes. about, like sudden storms would come on and stuff like that. Yes. That's kind of where I was like, okay, this must have been some kind of situation that like rich like people- Like biosphere. Yeah, then that's where the, the <laughs> yeah. biosphere, I mean, they're still dealing with it, but they're like enough away from everybody else. It's like a secret society or something. Yeah. Because obviously everybody would want to be involved, you know, if, if they knew about it. So, but it was one of those things, I think, too, that kept you reading where the way he handed us the story, mm-hmm. it wasn't, there were big reveals, 100%, oh, yeah. but there was a lot of little reveals, too, or like bread Pushing you in a direction. Yeah, yeah, where you're like, okay, I think I know where we're going. And sometimes we'll get to her later on with Kaylee and be like, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Oh, my gosh. Even yeah. which, which side with I'm on that. anymore. I just got to keep reading to see what happens. <laughs> Going back to the idea of retirement and how they handle that, his father, Malcolm, decides to retire. And that's the big kind of breaking point for him because his dad and him became estranged after his wife, uh, after his mother uh, committed suicide. And they didn't really speak much. And then his father is opting for retirement. So they give it to 
Proctor, which is not unusual if it's a family member, they they try to make it somebody that can keep them peaceful. And their conversations they have, it seems like that loving, you know, we we wasted time and all this stuff, and like just kind of having those last moments together. And he shows him the, the ship he built for him oh, that he named Cynthia. after his mother, Cynthia, and, and all that. And then when they're going to the pier where the fairy will come to take him away, that's when his father has this episode. And everything that happened there is kind of where you're like, okay, something was a little Hold wrong up. with Proctor. But wait, is there something wrong with this world too? Yeah. Because his father starts telling him, you know, like nothing is as it seems, uh, all this different stuff. And he starts shouting this word, Orionos, Orionos, Orionos. And Proctor, his life goes like 180 and then 180 180 like just spirals down a drain from there it was just as my dad would say the thought clickens yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) but that was uh i liked that we saw that and obviously it's a big callous book but he talks about how some people have issues with retirement or people like i said before if your monitor gets below 10 percent, you get forced retirement and they don't always go easily so it was nice to see that even in this you know, where they're trying to preach and, and Proctor even talks about how he always, he like recites the handbook basically. Oh, you're going to come back young. You get to fall right. in love again. You get to have all these experiences, blah, blah, blah. You know, and some people buy it and some people don't. Even if they have that idea, there's still that panic of what if oh, this no. is what it seems kind of situation, yeah. which I found really interesting. And again, it's the catalyst for more things I will get into. Another thing I wanted to get back to that you touched on earlier is the annex. Mm. And so they talk about it in the jacket where the people of the annex are basically there to take care of the Prosperans and to do all the shit jobs. So the Prosperans can work on their tennis game and do their shitty art and not worry about anything. The annex people are taking care of everything. And they don't get to reiterate. They live their lives. They have children, like biological children. They, they live like normal people live. And in squalor. And in squalor. Yeah. yeah. Um, like to the point where later on, Proctor doesn't even know how much his maid makes. And when he finds out, he's like, that's ridiculous. You should be making so much more. Like, yeah. But his eyes are never open to that. It's just those people are there for us. That's how it's always been. That's how it will always be. But I did like the difference between them where the annex, it's just rife for that conflict to come. Yes. Like you feel it building yes. the whole time. And that's kind of yes. what we're given in snippets as we see through different people's eyes, certain events happening. And you just feel that tension building and it does well to add to the story. It makes it so there is a clicking, a clicking, a clicking talk. There is a ticking clock <laughs> that you have to worry about uh, mm-hmm. as, as our story moves forward. And you feel that, at least I did definitely, as we got further yeah. into it, it was like, oh shit, this is, uh, it's about to blow literally. Well, and it's like really hard to not feel something for the people in the annex. I, th- I think the the main protagonists of the story are the Prosperans. Yeah. Um, also like hilarious name, like very apropos. But the but the fact that the the people of the annex are kind of this like worker bee scenario that you can't help but feel not sorry for but you're like hell yeah eat the rich you know that he again with the character creation that he does even these people that have seemingly minimal roles in society in the world in the story have a big impact 100 percent 
And then we, what we do see is a crossover of some prosperins who are working for the resistance. Right. And that brings us to our second point of view, which is Thea. I was wondering what you made of her character as you got to know her and her role, uh, both in Prospera and the Annex. Uh, I really liked her duality, like that she was capable of existing in both spaces. It did make me wonder sort of where her origins were. Maybe we did discover that, but in any case, it it seemed to me like she was playing a part when she was in Prospera and was more her true self when she was in the Annex and with those people. But I really liked her ability to to kind of move back and forth and the relationship she had with Hoppy was great. Yes. I thought she was really great at relationships in general. Like yeah. having it through her eyes for especially the people of the Annex where you see how she interacts with Antony or yeah. with Claire, Poppy, all them, the cousins, that kind of situation. I, that like brought more of a human element. Whereas like totally. the people, and she dealt with it too when she was in Prospera, but like the people Proctor deal with, it's very like robotic almost. Like that's kind yeah. of what they talk about. When they end up meeting, they meet at a concert where Proctor is like, I can't handle the, like this woman is playing whatever it was, some symphony beautifully, perfectly, robotically there's yeah, no, no feeling here. she's hitting every note she's playing it in time but i feel nothing and we see that too with thea how she has a, a art dealership and she's like yeah look oh more fruit here's another great. great landscape you know but there's no feeling behind these these are people that are like it's i feel like it, it would be how it is in the matrix where it's like download how to paint and then you can paint beautifully but there's nothing <laughs> behind it you know right right so there was so much of that BS, but I did appreciate the instant connection that Thea mm -hmm. and Proctor had, you know, right or wrong, because <laughs> Proctor is technically married to Elise. And I did appreciate, too, that Proctor says at that moment, they, they sleep together. This isn't too far into the book. So a little spoilery, but sorry. And he's like, I liked how he was so upfront about it, because when Thea talks, we're seeing it kind of like as somebody on Thea's shoulder. We are yeah. getting a little bit of her emotions, whatever. But then when you go back to Proctor, it's always I. Proctor yeah. is always our main yeah. friend. And even tells the reader, he's like, you're not going to like this part, but this is where I was at this moment. This is how I was feeling. And this is what I did. So I, I liked that they had that connection and I liked how Proctor didn't make excuses for it. And then shit snowballs from there. Yeah, that was actually, you brought up an interesting point, how every other character, the narration was not in the first person. It was only Proctor. And it was such an interesting choice. And it really like lends itself to putting the reader in a different place than if everything was third person. Yeah, it is. I've, I've been reading some books about writing and that's kind of oh. what some people say that they do. Because uh, it's all, that's one of the main things you have to think about when you're writing a book is how you want this to be told. And right. then there's also like how you tell it. Like if you are in Proctor's head, you know everything he's feeling, et cetera. If you're just on Thea's shoulder you don't not know everything like that. some of it's obvious but not everything so it is just a different way of telling a story and it was something it took a couple times so I'm like wait a second we're doing this differently so I like that he put both of them in there because it was noticeable and it kind of made you see the story differently as well yeah totally yes so the last thing I wanted to touch on with Thea was I liked how that also then became a breadcrumb of who else is working for the resistance? And yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but that became kind of a thing where it'd be like... It, could it be this person? Could it be yeah. that person? Or you yeah. learn the background of somebody that you think you know, and it's something else. And that, again, it was just twists, thriller, mystery. Like there was yes. a lot in this book that kind of 
had you guessing if you wanted to or just kept you turning the page if you didn't it was really cool Well, and i would think like i had something figured out and then something else would happen and i'd be like well shit <laughs> i think i might have been wrong <laughs> <laughs> yes well and, and getting to that and i wanted to touch on one more character who i mentioned briefly and that's kaylee i wanted to know what you thought of her and kind of exactly what we were just talking about shit i think i had that figured out oh wait what <laughs> Yeah, that character definitely left me with some whiplash for sure. I wrote that it was a super interesting mystery, like with all the hints that we were getting. I mean, she definitely, it was clear that she was sort of a a, a narrative linchpin uh, that we were getting unpacked very slowly and then not necessarily steered in incorrect directions, but things that we learned about her throughout kind of took you down different paths guessing and then thinking that you had it and then maybe you didn't and then something else would happen. And I mean, she was just chaos to the to the story in terms of a linear <laughs> function of it. And what she was doing to Proctor. Like, yeah. That was also him circling the drain. It was like, is she adding to this? What is happening here? Because he yeah. leaves her on the beach and she is 17, 18. She's, a, she's supposed to be a ward. She's supposed to be in school and she's not. And he's kind of playing hooky too from his job because he's, you know, spiraling enough as it is. And eventually like the next day or something, like they talk and he feels like an instant connection to her. And then the next day he teaches her how to swim and they have this like beautiful day together. And that was the first thing that I liked is it just brought out, again, another side of Proctor where it showed him as less of the robot. Like that's what kept, I think, with these interactions he has with Thea and Kaylee it pulls him away from everybody else in Prospera. Like you mm-hmm. see how his wife Elise deals with things and how it's very like blinders. blinders. Yeah. She's like, well, I'm focused on my designs. Like my design's right. a big thing. And it's like, Proctor, you really got to look after yourself. We're going to set up an appointment with your doctor, but like also I'm going to take off for the weekend and deal with my designs. Like it was where Proctor's like now stepping back. He's like, who's caring for this girl? Like what's Kaylee yeah. doing? Why isn't she in school? Somebody needs to follow up on this. And he talks about how Elise didn't want to have a ward when it became time for them to do that. And he really did. And then he, you see that paternal instincts coming out oh, of yeah. him, which I thought was so like heartwarming and lovely. I also, I was definitely going to touch on the paternal instinct aspect of his character. I think that was very on the nose with what Kaylee means to the story, but also when he first meets her and she's got that scar on her face and the way he reacts to that, like everybody knows that this is, it just added to the mystery for me in terms of, oh, well, at some point very soon, we're going to figure out who this is because this is somebody like pretty obvious, very important, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I, their, their instant connection was very satisfying i really appreciated that she was this like snarky teen and that he even calls out how much he appreciates that about her (laughs) they were super cute i loved their relationship yeah me too and getting back to what you said about the scar and he says like oh everyone knows about the scar and like you're saying he like looks past it and she even points it out she's like you're not gonna ask me about this and he's like whatever it's not like yeah i don't need to ask you about it you'll tell me if you want or however you put it but then he talks about how they've had to reiterate wards before where accidents happen and one of them becomes paralyzed or something like that or something terrible happens so they reiterate them just to give them a fresh start and he's kind of wondering too why why did that happen to kaylee like what happened to this girl to cause such a large scar it's like from eyebrow down to her mouth but she's she's staying obviously maybe her wards have given up on her like what the, the the mystery around her isn't just 
to us, it's also to him as he's to like, him, yeah. why is she here? And like, again, that's where we have the moment talking about echoes whereas she's leaving him after that day on the beach. She's like, she's I think crazy. I knew you in a different life. And he's like, I, I think I did too. I think we were friends at least, you know? Uh, and they had that moment, which was, which was really nice. So it's <laughs> The other just thing about Prospera I meant to touch on too, was the marriage contracts I thought was oh. an interesting idea. So they'd sign up for marriage contracts and basically your first one, I think they said the first one was typically 10 years, I want to say, or eight or 10 years or something like that. And I thought it was like a choice. I, I thought that the length was a choice. I think, I, yeah, I think you said like average. They had like an idea. Oh, like, okay. Usually it's like eight or 10 years, but you can, I, like, you can do less. Like I think Otto, who we meet was later, like, like three years. He's got a very, <laughs> yeah. very certain taste. Fucking which, guy. Yeah, spoilers yeah. for spoilers. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, we don't um, like him. You get it from point one. He is. He is oh yeah, he's terrible. Yep, you know it right away. But I, I just thought that was an interesting idea too because you talk about yeah. living forever or having a 130 year lifespans and that decision to marry or not and how it's a big deal for malcolm his father after his mother cynthia uh kills herself his father never remarries and that was kind of a big deal because it was i think it was his father's third marriage contract by that point okay and then he never recovered from her right. to, to do it like he didn't want to do it again i thought that was a really powerful message in there as well yeah well and i think there was somebody else i don't remember who maybe like Jason's parents or something or his wards had been it was like a 30-year marriage contract and they retired together and like yeah it just so interesting how different the choices that people made were and totally tracks I think that was one thing that kept me coming back to the realism aspect was that the way that people were acting around the possibility or the the fact of reiteration was so human nature (laughs) Yeah, it was so interesting because again, you have that guaranteed, but who am I yeah. going to come back as? I'm not going to remember this. Like, I'm you are in a way dying, you're becoming something else. But then you have the annex's view of it where they don't have reiteration, and then they look towards a higher power, they start preaching a rivalism, and it kind of it becomes like a godlike situation where yeah. a rival come is their saying because they're latching onto that because this is their one chance. They don't have the option to just, you know, screw it. I'm going to go back and try again kind of situation. So it was interesting how both of those are very human reactions to it. Totally, totally. And it does make sense that you'd want some type of when you're in a, I don't want to say hopeless, but when you're in a situation where you're so like downtrodden, it makes sense to have a faith in something more hopeful. And even like with the breakdown, when they get to the ferry, you still don't have proof. You know, nobody comes back from reiteration and says, oh, I used to be Dave, you know, you just assume that it is how it works. So there is on on all sides there. And that kind of leads us to your get to know your podcaster question. So uh, just based on this part where we're first reading it, not the whole mystery revealed. I was wondering if you had the option to live in Prospera or the Annex, which you would take and why? That's like a really tough choice because the concept of reiteration is kind of appealing in terms of being able to start over. That said, I don't know if that makes me feel as though I would be losing myself. You're starting fresh, as in all of your memories. So are you going to be a totally different person? It's like reincarnation, but not. And I feel as though there'd be a chance that you don't really live your life not necessarily to the fullest, but you'd live your life differently if you knew you could hit the reset button. 
that said, you're hitting the reset button and you're also losing all the things that you might have liked about your current situation. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel as though the Annex people are actually living their lives and the people in Prosper are just play acting. And I don't know. I don't know. So that was uh, basically my answer to, um, <laughs> I, mean, I I chose the annex, but I put down for both of them. So for Prospera, always being reborn, obviously there's something to be said for that, as you were saying, you don't have to work, life comes super easy, but then kind of getting back to uh, Proctor at the concert and Thea with the art, like how real is it, right? right. Like you're saying like, we're just going through the paces. Oh, I took up art because- this is something to do. And I, I signed a marriage contract because you're supposed to. And we got a ward because we've been together for six years. And I guess you're supposed to get a ward. Like you do see it like th- that was a cool thing where just in the little bit we had with Cynthia, or maybe she said it later, how Malcolm changed when they got Proctor. Mm. Like that flipped a switch for him where he like wanted to connect to this boy right. and like felt that. And that made her love him again, all over again. You know, right. it was a powerful thing. So there are people that maybe do have that experience, but then you look at the annex and yes, it's, it's dirty and it's crowded and it's hard work. It's backbreaking labor for no pay. And you're always under scrutiny, security, like constantly watched, but you're living those. It's connections real life. Yeah. When, when Thea goes to the annex and meets with the cousins and sits with making dinner with Claire or sitting with Pappy as he paints and talks about the emotion she gets from, from looking at his art, like that to me, it comes down to, do you want years or do you want a life? And I would choose the life because yeah, then I you think... have the experience that you're going to look back on. And again, like you were saying, if you know you can reset at any moment, you're how much are you really experiencing? Like that's part of our life. The fact that or... death hangs over us makes you appreciate it so much more, makes you appreciate the people around you or it should uh, to the point where like that, to me, that's the drawing thing. Like, yes, to live forever would be great, but would it be because you're not yourself the whole time? That's the thing. And it's not really living forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're starting fresh in that like your body or whatever is living on. But like how much effort are you putting in in your life with connections, your job, whatever, your passions? Do you even have passions? The and the people in the annex have a more genuine version of everything even though they don't get to start fresh. Yeah. I think that the you brought up Scythe earlier, and that's an interesting comparison because I think that aspect of turning back the clock, but you're still you and you still have your connections is almost more appealing than the reiteration aspect because you're you're cleaning the slate and having to be a different person. What if you really liked the person you were? Or I don't know, it just it makes it feel like you're not going to put in the effort to to be a real person or a good person. And I can understand that feeling. Like like you're saying, I think it was Jason, uh, Jason Kim's parents who reiterated together, like maybe they're hoping they come back and meet again, you know, right. like, again, with those echoes feeling, maybe they feel that connection a second time around. Like that, that would definitely be what I'd be worried about. But also there's the other side of it too, where like, you don't want to wait till you're losing your mind. Like Malcolm is, and now you're becoming somebody completely different before right. you're getting moved on. Like, it's such a, I don't know. I feel like in theory, it sounds great. And then you start picking at it and you're kind of like, oh, I don't like this part. Oh, I don't like that part. Like, there's, yeah. there's a lot more here that I don't enjoy that I thought I would. So, well, and the fact that you start life, quote unquote, as like a teen 
and you already have certain aspects of being a person but I don't know just the whole it just seems so much more fake than life in the annex it's like when you die in a video game and you just go back to like the starting point you're not actually I don't know I the annex seems more real I think that's my final answer yeah (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah I mean it's just interesting and I'd be interested to have that conversation with other people who have read the book again yeah before getting into the meat of it uh just kind of seeing it how it's initially displayed because again you have that kind of life of leisure but how much of a life is it really so right it's an inch and again that's just a, a nod to Cronin with his writing it it makes you think about those things especially if you have to talk about it on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> so on that note we're gonna get to spoilers this is a warning spoilers I try to keep short it is almost two full pages typed it is so, impossible so. to keep this one short <laughs> yeah so go grab a coffee um get your favorite snack you're gonna be listening to me for a while but before we get there we have your song and it goes like this this is the pot that we're going into spoilers. If you don't know the book, get out. Seriously, get out. Stop listening. If you're ever going to read this book, do not listen to spoilers. It will spoil everything and you need to listen. You need to read this book. It's super good. Anyway, it's time to learn what the fairy man's all about. What's he ferrying? What's the fairy look like? Where's it going? And all that stuff in spoilers. After retiring his father, Proctor decides that he must change jobs and step away. But before he can do that, he learns he has been fired. Distraught, he turns to Thea, who he recently met at a concert and the two have an affair while Elise is out in the countryside. Proctor dreams again later and sleepwalks to his father's abandoned house where Thea and Quinn find him and save him before a tornado touches down and wrecks the house. Brought back to a safe house, Proctor decides it is time to remove his monitor and cuts it out with the help of Thea. He learns that someone is being held for transport on the next ferry and decides it is Kaylee and she must be saved. He and Thea try to save Kaylee, but when Proctor gets to the cell, she isn't there and he is taken. Thea manages to escape, but just barely. Proctor is brought to the ferry for an immediate reiteration. When he gets to the nursery, he is subdued by the gentle music, food, and atmosphere, but when he sees his ex-protege, Jason Kim, there as well, his thoughts on the setup become crystal clear. He finds Kaylee when he rescues her from drowning in the pool, and the two of them make their escape. He gets back to the surface on the separate island and jumps into the sea. He is pulled out by a fishing vessel and is shocked when Thea is there telling him that they pulled Kaylee out too. They go back to the annex and here Proctor meets with the leader of the resistance, a group known as the Arrivalists. Everyone calls her mother and Proctor is shocked to find his own mother staring back at him. She had faked her death over a decade before and has been running the resistance ever since. The reunion is cut short as violence has erupted in the annex and watchmen descend on the group's safe house. They manage to escape but are forced back to Prospera when the tunnel begins caving in. Proctor, Quinn, Thea, Kaylee, and a young boy named Anthony escape from Prospera on a sailboat and decide to sail past the nursery and see what is beyond. It doesn't take them long to discover a vertical waterfall that they are being drawn to. There's nothing they can do and the ship is taken under. Proctor breaks the surface calling out for his companions but finds no one. He sees a giant sailing ship close by and swims to it. As he climbs up the back, he sees that this is the fabled Orionos that he has been searching for. He is greeted on board by Dr. Patty, who makes him tea and then disappears. He follows her out to the deck and finds her replaced by Elise. The two talk briefly about the past and then head to bed where he sees she is pregnant. When he sleeps, we are brought into a flashback where we learn that Kaylee was their daughter who drowned in their pool when she was four years old. When he awakes from the flashback, he finds himself in a new place that is all metal and filled with futuristic technology. 
he discovers that he is on the true Rhinos, which is a space-faring vessel that was built to transport nearly 80,000 people across the galaxy to a potentially hospitable planet they named Callus. Proctor remembers that to protect the travelers during the 200-plus year journey, they developed a software and apparatus that would allow them to continue living in a dream world that was created using one person as a designer. The designer for the trip was his wife, Elise. He is greeted by Thea and Quinn, who are both doctors in different fields and executive staff for the trip. Antony is there as well. He is actually a man in his 30s and a soil specialist. Together, they learned that they had arrived nearly 150 years ago, and when Warren awoke, as was the protocol, he looked upon the frozen planet and its challenges and decided he would rather continue his life in Prospera than struggle on Callus. He woke up Otto and Callista, who agreed, and the three went back into the dream, but didn't take the suppressors so they would remember exactly what was going on. The dream was now collapsing because Elise had been running it too long, and her dreams are turning to the daughter she lost, which is making the environment more dangerous. They need to get her out in order to start bringing the others back, but Otto has made that impossible to do. Proctor realizes that he has to go back into the dream to remind her of Kaylee so she will break the spell and force it to end. While this is happening, Otto knows that Proctor has gotten out and will know what he has done. He takes measures into his own hands and sets it up so Elise and others will be sent to the nursery, but instead of being reintegrated, they will be terminated. He has programmed it so that when Elise is gone, he will take over as the designer. He also sends Callista and Warren to the nursery as well, so no one will know the truth but him. Proctor is sent back in, but not before we learn that he and Thea had an affair in real life as well before they launched from Earth. When he gets back to Prospera, he confronts Otto, who tries to trap him, but he manages to escape and chases after the van that Elise and Warren are in. Before he can make it to them, the van upends and Elise takes off as she hears the voice of a forgotten child calling to her. Meanwhile, as all this is happening, the Annex has begun its revolution following the shooting of Pappy in the streets. The mob has managed to get past the roadblocks and made their way onto Prospera, where they are burning everything to the ground. They come to a standoff in the central square against Otto and his watchmen. As the two groups are staring each other down, Elise comes walking in and stands up on the fountain, looking to the sky and the one bright blue star. The combat has stopped as everyone else looks up at the star as well, and Proctor sees this as his opportunity to get to Elise. As he makes his way to her, he is shot multiple times by Otto, who is then killed by Mother. With his dying words, Proctor tells Elise to remember their daughter and to say her name. As she does, the dream starts to break apart. When he gets back to Orionos, Proctor learns that there are quite a few issues and they don't have as much time as originally planned to wake everyone up and send them down to the planet. They are also dealing with backlash as everyone remembers what happened in the dream and are now confronted with that as well as their true identities. Proctor does not wake up the investors, some 12,000 people who funded this trip and were all members of Prospera. This was always his intention. He wanted the people to want to leave the dreamscape and be motivated to build something better for themselves. It is difficult at first, but because of the fast-moving timeline, almost everyone is able to move past their grievances and get on with the work. After everyone else has shuttled to the surface, Proctor says goodbye to Quinn and Thea. He is not going with them, but is instead rejoining Elise and the investors and bringing them back to Earth to see what they find there. This time, he will be the designer of the dream, and he plans to run it much differently. We get a glimpse of life on the planet through Thea's eyes, and though it is cold and the conditions are tough, they are slowly making progress towards building the new society. We learn that she is pregnant from the affair she had with Proctor back on Earth, and though she hasn't told anyone, Poppy can tell. The book ends with an epilogue of Proctor's new dream and the life he has found in it with Elise and Kaylee, who is celebrating her eighth birthday. Now we invite Tasha back to the show. Hi! <laughs> I want to so start by much. 
so much. Uh, and it felt like I said, I tried to like speed it up. So it was like this happened, this happened, this happened, but it was still just, there's a lot in here. I want to start by talking about twists before the biggest twist. Those being Proctor's mother still being alive and being mother. And then the truth about Kaylee. I wanted to know if you saw either of these coming or what you were thinking as it was being revealed. Mother being his mother. I don't want to say I guessed early on, but as soon as we like were introduced, well, I guess we didn't really meet her. We like heard of her through others. I was sort of like, hmm, interesting that she's called that. I wonder if she's his mom. And then later on, it just like, it got obvious that that was what was going to happen. So that one was a little bit less of a surprise. Kaylee was a pretty big surprise in that, like we talked about before, her character for a long time, I was like, she's here. She's not here. She's real. She's not real. It's all fake. And then like finding out that she's actually their daughter, except sort of accelerated timeline. Like when the Kaylee we meet and know is a teen, right? the real Kaylee did not live that long. So that was an interesting sort of twist. But there was one earlier on, I don't remember exactly when um, he like puts the connection between her name and the Orionis or however you say it. (laughs) Yeah, I was saying Um, Orionos. I have no idea. I don't either. Um, Even Kaylee's probably wrong. Um, But uh, there was that connection he made just from like a etymology standpoint. The connection from a Greek names situation yes, um, to that and to like space and whatnot that kind of made me feel like there was something more going on. The reality and the fact that she had died, I was shocked by the fact that like, because everybody else in this dreamscape is a real person. Yeah, going back to the mother one, the mother one felt like we were slowly being led upstairs. Like, I yeah. think there became a point where even before it was revealed at some point, you probably put it together no matter what. It's just a question of like how far along, how far up the stairwell you were by the time you got it. It was very well laid out. And I, to me, like right from the beginning, I was like, his mother seems like too strong of a thing. Like, even if she was a prosperin, which we find out she wasn't, she had a fake monitor, etc., the, the her taking her own life and the fact that like she waits for an audience she like waits mm-hmm. for a drone to come out and she's like I want them to see this all this stuff I was like there's something more here so I, I think it is probably by the time we are introduced her mother is said the first time I'm like okay that that makes sense that that would be his mother <laughs> that she would be hopping with him there's still the other revelations where his father Malcolm found her out really early on uh, and never said anything. And then she comes clean to him years later, I think once Proctor's involved, and he's like, I've known for years, but I still love you. And, I don't mind. Yeah. And their connection was so strong and, and beautiful. And then just to jump ahead, when we get to the real world, uh, they end up getting married, Malcolm and Cynthia, even though they weren't together, they get married uh, by Proctor before they head down to uh, Callis. Well, so they were married before the Orianus left, they were ex. I, that was okay. The the page that I marked, I was just rereading while you were doing spoilers, and they were married. Cynthia and Malcolm were married, and Whoa. then they read. They were like ex husband and wife, and then at the like celebratory party, they were like making, making out. out. And okay. was like, "What's going on?" And he was like, "Oh, by the way, that was his ex wife, and she's okay. a colonist." And so, like in real world, when or real time. When they go down to the planet, they're like getting remarried. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I remember that being something, but I couldn't remember who it was. So yeah. that does make sense. 
So just the idea that in the dream world, Malcolm stayed so committed to her after mm-hmm. the fact and kept her secret. And like, then we learn that he withdrew from Proctor because he didn't want to expose Proctor and Cynthia. Like he didn't want to expose what he knew about the mother. So he kept his distance from Proctor so that he wouldn't ruin it for Cynthia as she was out doing her revolution. Like that was his penance so, like- to pay for the revolution. I also feel like him not remarrying or remarriage contracting <laughs> is like she, he knows that she's still alive. Yes. Like that's, oh knows my, that remarrying know. is like not something he would do because he still loves her and she is still alive. And he knows this. Again, the freaking characters, man, and the way that everything's connected, it was like very passage-esque. Yes, it was that moment where you're you're saying, oh, this person is this way. In the passage, it's more like this person's related to this person that we yes. had dreams go. Whereas this is like, this person is this person, but this <laughs> is their real life compared to their dream life. Yeah, 100%. Yes. Um, well, and I think that that's just what's so interesting about and, and what made me feel as though, even though it was like wildly crazy, this whole dreamscape thing, it also was realistic because those people that in real life are so intertwined even if they're nemesis is nemesis <laughs> even though they're not they don't like each other they're still connected in the dreamscape in a maybe not similar you know what i mean like yeah. it is that echoes, that echoes feeling yeah. it's really an echo from the real world not real necessarily world. a previous iteration yeah mm-hmm. like that's kind of that connection that yeah we'll get more into that in a minute but before that with what you were saying about Kaylee now with mother it was like a staircase easy to go mm-hmm. with Kaylee it was like parkour like it was ridiculous how many times I was jumping back and forth on that about and being sure being yeah, sure that it was 100%. so like to the point where when he opens the door to the cell in the stronghold or whatever she's not there I'm like fuck she's been fake. what the hell oh, it's all in his head it's all in his head and then he gets to the nursery uh, where they do reiteration and he saves her from drowning. I'm like, holy shit, she's real. Other people can see her. Other people see her. But but then how Bernardo, who's like the AI kind of caretaker, one of them at the nursery is like, sure, sure. Your friend can come with you. And even though it's in writing, you get that total like, oh yeah, bud. Yeah, your friend. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you're not crazy. Yeah, your friend, imaginary friend. 100%. Your friend can go in your room with you. Yeah, that's totally fine. And how she like, he's like, why don't you take a bath and like warm up and all this stuff. And he's like, I don't hear anything from that room. And like, then it, as I open the door, she's just standing right there. It's like, oh my God, of course, the timing. And then they make their escape and she gets ahead of him. And then he gets on the cliff and, and Bernardo's like, she's not here. And he's like, there never was a Kaylee. And he's like, the many no. Bernardos. <laughs> yes, the many Bernardos. <laughs> there are many, but my name is Bernardo. Uh, <laughs> he's like, there was never a Kaylee. And she's like, no, there's never a Kaylee. So then he like, runs and jumps into the sea and he starts swimming back, gets picked up by the ship. And then Thea's like, we picked her up too. And she's like, what? And yeah. then like, who the fuck is this thing? Like, what totally the Totally crazy. But then the fact that we learn about the designer and how Elise is the designer and it makes sense that she would bring Kaylee into this because Kaylee was supposed to be here. We learned that later on, like they have the pod next to them that was for her that isn't used because she died uh, weeks or months before the launch. It was like the celebration party. Yeah, it was like, we did it. Yeah. 
so it makes sense that she would bring Kaylee in, but like you were saying how this one was older, she would have to fit. Like if she was a child, it wouldn't make sense because wards are all 16. So they she don't like brings children. her in yeah. as that. But then you see when he talks about Kaylee to Elise and he's like, the girl with the scar, everyone knows the girl with the scar. And Kaylee's like, like, what? Everyone knows that. What are you talking about? Yeah. So much. Oh my God. It was so mind bending. Yeah. There were moments where I was like, I'm pretty sure I understand what's happening with Kaylee. And then. I mean, not even just Kaylee, but the bit with like the many, many Bernardos. I was like, hold up. Now I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I'm reading. I don't know if I had it right. I was making all these guesses and now everything seems wrong. Oh, man, it was a lot. But I will say that Elise as like the the dreamscape architect was interesting and how Kaylee, I thought that they touched on this at one point and now I don't remember exactly how it went down. But interesting that Kaylee would show up as oh no maybe that was what they were referring to so he has a proctor has a conversation maybe with thea i don't remember in i'm pretty sure in the real timeline about how elise used to joke with him that you know like you'll have to watch out for kaylee when she's a teenager she's gonna be a problem a handful or whatever and so she had it in her head that she would be like the Kaylee in the dreamscape. So it makes sense that the Kaylee in the dreamscape would be snarky and and so on and so forth. I feel like if he were the architect, as we see in the end, she has a somewhat different attitude. Yeah, and I think he would want to see her growing up too. That's yes. So I, I think what you're talking, I think it's when the morning after we're having the flashback where they're talking about how like Kaylee's already taken care of herself and she's like, oh, she's going to be a handful when she's a teenager. I think that's where it happens. But it does make sense that she would project that as well. And then. But I think that that's where. So in the real world, I think that that's like the moment where Proctor's like, okay, this is Elise's representation of Kaylee because that's not. It's Elise that's doing this, not me that's doing this, because that is how Elise would have viewed her as a teen. Whereas like I had a different perception of what she would be like as a teen. Yes, that's his. So, yes, he does have that realization. And he talks about that because. Also, the fact other people can see her, that's why it makes sense that Elise is the designer. She can bring in whatever she wants. So she's bringing in this version of Kaylee. Whereas if it was just in Proctor's head, it would only be him seeing her. because And it would be a different version. Yeah. So she is real in a way, even though she's not. So all the jumping back and forth, you literally land in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. Well, which is so strange because like we were saying before, everybody else in the dreamscape, every, every person in the dreamscape is real except that's not really true because like well okay so riddle me this the people in the annex are having biological children right so babies are being born what like if elise is the one creating the dreamscape and those babies are not actually born like i just what (laughs) i think they. i think so it wasn't said right but I assume they get put in, right? Because the whole point of the dreamscape is you have to keep their minds going. Otherwise, their minds will turn into nightmares and they'll turn on themselves and they'll go crazy by the time they do the 200 years. So I assume when somebody in the annex dies, they are just reborn because Proctor touches on that with his dream on the way back where they talk about how they're going to have issues with failing cryopods or whatever they're using. And it will you will have that moment where you will think, you know, somebody will just be gone. And you'll have that moment where you think, oh, wasn't, xyz just here and then you'll event you'll slowly forget them because like it would be traumatic for you not to i assume my thought was something like that would happen where like they don't really have babies but like suddenly they have like a two-year-old 
or something like that. Like somebody died, like Antony died, and then he was brought back into another family as a child. Okay, so they so just start like, younger. They still get okay. reiterated in a way, but they start out as children to separate them. So they have this belief that they only have one life. Like, I don't know. None of this was explained. This is all just me guessing. No, that's well, kind of was my thought. And I just, I was thinking about the, his housekeeper's son. Yeah. Who's only like eight or something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The book, so much happened. Uh, so it's hard to. Um, maybe it's explained in the director's cut. Maybe. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been touching on it a bit but the big twist is that it, this is all a dream and the real orionos is this space-faring vessel that has brought them 200 years and then an additional 150 years as they re-entered the dream and kept going so i wanted to know what you thought of that big twist and then also warren and him and otto and calista's decision to go back into the dream i thought that twist was amazing i had made myself a little note with a doohickey at the page where i recognized what was going on and i wrote spaceship cryosleep dreams colonists and i then felt very vindicated when all of those things like came to be the sort of extra twist of having the planet they were going to colonize end up not being exactly what they were anticipating was really interesting and obviously adds the narrative aspect of Warren being a complete douche nozzle and putting everybody back to sleep again or what continuing the sleep instead of waking people up for a long ass time like bro that's more than half of your journey here and you've just been like wasting resources hovering orbiting above this planet like oh that guy but yeah i thought that was a really interesting interesting twist especially because the planet that they're orbiting and that they're going to be colonizing looks to have had the same problems that earth has and it's like they've just left one hellscape for another and the people that were there previously or the beings that were there previously made the same mistakes they did or seem to have. And I think that that's just really on the nose. Yeah, it did appear that Callus was something that had had nuclear winter somewhere in the last 500 or more centuries. And now was slowly like the ice was slowly receding and giving them some hospitable places to stay. But it's like 40 degree Fahrenheit and like not, it's not going to be fun. I think, it's I think this is like Finland basically. <laughs> like yeah. is where you're going to be living forever. Um, yeah. Which is, I'm sure it's beautiful, but it's also very cold. Nothing what against expecting, people of Finland. <laughs> because they even said like they were expecting it all to be water, but it was because yeah. of how perfect the ice was, how it like reflected it's the like rain. It appeared to be water, but it wasn't. It was actually ice. And that was like the big misgiving thing. So for me to start with the twist, this was the one point where I was like, a little baby sigh came out of me. And I was like, I, I hate when they do this. It's all the, a dream. The trope of it's all a dream. Because what did I just waste my time reading or watching, especially when they do it in shows where it's like, that didn't really happen. Oh. Aha, we took your- We can just rewrite everything. <laughs> down the garbage. So I, what brought it back for me on this one is the fact that there were consequences from it, that the things happening in the dream made- 
sense like he went deeper into it where we talked about how the echoes were really connections that people had where when they came out i didn't really touch on it in spoilers but he talked about how like there were fights the the people from the annex were trying to get to the cryo tubes of the investors that were separate because they were the prosperance because they wanted to get even with them and they had to like have security on that there was one actual murder that happened where somebody couldn't let go what had happened and they talk about that like when they get out initially, when it's Thea and Quinn, who we haven't really touched on, but Quinn was a super cool character too. Oh my God, yeah. Proctor and then Anthony, and they get out and, you know, they're like, oh, like they welcome Anthony into the big boy table basically. And then eventually they have to talk about some other things. He's like, I'm going to take, I should probably go. And they're like, yeah, why don't you go look at soil samples? And then Quinn's like, he's going to remember. And what are we going to do when that happens? And then when he remembers, he takes it out. He, he takes it out on, on Proctor. And then Proctor even talks about by that point, when they're all out, he's basically locked himself away in the dome. Hiding. He is the, the force of their ire. Uh, and he deserves it. And that's the other thing, too, is he understands. He knows it. He knows it. But also, again, to bring it back to Warren, this is why he wanted them. He wanted them to not want to go back to the dream. Because Warren in the dream is a doctor who is Elise's best friend. And this is who he was in the real world too. And he was part of the executive staff. So he knew going in, he's the first one up, you know, once they get there, he has to look around and then he's supposed to wake everyone up. But in the dream, they talk about how Warren doesn't even take white, like wedding contracts. He just wants to sleep around. He drives this very fancy sports car. He's got a really great life. That guy doesn't want to go put on an extra cover and be in 40 degree Fahrenheit freezing cold temperature. And work his ass off to create a new life. Exactly. And I will say it's interesting. That was the one thing I questioned. You're telling me you don't need a doctor like, on your new frontier? Okay. Also, like, presumably there are people in the colonist group, the annex group, who are doctors. Like, Anton was... A soil biologist. A soil biologist. Like, he wasn't just a kid. Like, right. we knew him in the dream. So all these people that had these really hard lives in the dream were probably very capable people. I also like amazing forethought on Proctor's part to be like, no, no, these people, shit's going to suck <laughs> for them in the dream, but that's just going to push them harder. And I have this devilish plan to just like not wake the investors up. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, so that's part of it too, because Warren wakes up Otto and Callisto, who I think are like the two heads of it, of, of Prospera company or whatever it is. Is Callista actually Elise's mom in real life? Yes. Okay. So that's so part dream, of it. dream life and real life are correct in that point. And Callista goes back in remembering. So remember yes. that. So this yes. iteration of her remembers. She does not get reiterated because the whole monitor thing is bullshit. Right. It, it, she knows the truth. So her she's not going to break down mentally when she starts having the, the memories of the real world. Yes. Her, right. Otto even touches on that. How like she is constantly protecting Elise. Like yeah. it, it did seem more like a ward. It it felt more like a daughter for her. And then you realize that it truly is. It really is. Yeah. So Warren wakes up Callista and Otto because I think they're like the top two. You would think he would wake up Proctor, but obviously Proctor is going to be the pushing to to colonize, right? That's the you whole thing. Yeah. So instead he looks after the people with the money. And this is when Otto learns that Proctor never planned on waking the investors up because how could you? And that is kind of like Proctor put all of his money on Malcolm doing the right, or not, sorry, Warren doing Warren the right doing thing. And when Warren fucked him, he super fucked him because then Otto learned the truth. And then Otto's like, well, Proctor, fuck you. I'm going to fuck you back in the streamscape forever. And Otto's fucking terrible. Yes, I mean, like yes. Warren's bad, but Otto is terrible. 
Yes, 100%. Warren is like selfish bad. Otto is like evil bad. But it, like, you get I mean, I point of view get too, because it. he's not going to wake up either, you know? Like, yeah. It's tough. I mean, I guess maybe you could have had a confrontation with Proctor, but again, he's probably looking down at Callus and going, I don't really want to stay here either. So, well, I mean, all those people have spent many hundreds of years living in the streamscape where they got everything handed to them on a silver platter. It'd be really hard to want to separate from that. And be like, oh, this place is really hard work. This well, life, this new life is really hard work. And Thea talks about that too, where she's talking about how she's tra- digging latrines and she was like an artist, you know? Yeah. So that, that's a difficult <laughs> swing even yeah. for her, but you've got to be tough to do it. I will say it was interesting too, as we learn about what happened with Kaylee and Elise being the designer. And then we see in the flashbacks that they were trying to get Proctor to take over as the designer because they thought Elise was like they he touches on yeah he touches on their relationship what happened after Kaylee and she just falls apart and he falls into his work I mean he falls apart too but instead of them dealing with it they just kind of go their separate ways and it's his job to try to finish this off because we learn that earth has food shortages like there's a fire that is taking everything west of the Mississippi incredible storm like this is what we have to look forward to in 30 things are going great yeah, Things are going so, great on her. You know, our future. Very yeah. stuff. Like tomorrow. Uh, so they talk about all that. And he, what was interesting is he does come clean to the readers, but he allows Elise to take the brunt of it where it's like, oh, it was her, you know, because she was a broken mother. This is kind of how she, she set up the world. Where in reality, he touches on how with the annex, he developed that. Like that wasn't her. But he lets her kind of take some of the blame up front as the grief, like to the the board and people like that. But really, he's like, this was actually my idea. That's what I got from it. I don't know if you're getting that from it. I don't know. I mean, I don't even remember that like being touched on. I also like devoured this book. It wouldn't surprise me if I missed something. There were so many things happening. It was, yeah, I think it happened. I might have thought. I don't know. It was a quick read, but it did seem like he let some things fall on her that were actually part of the master plan that he then didn't have to like answer to yeah answer to but i do appreciate from another standpoint of him being like look it's great that you bought the ticket that you paid 11 trillion dollars for this but fuck you you're not coming to this world well like you're not what this is about like you made this happen but you're not what this is about Otto even touches on no matter like in his view it doesn't matter who the person was they will become like humans are humans so yeah you can get rid of all the filthy rich but somebody is going to take advantage of that power gap somebody's going to step in and do it and Proctor is saying, well, I think they'll be better off without you to start at least. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing, the investors might not get to live on what is now not that great of a place, but they also get to live the high life in this dreamscape, which I don't know, maybe that's not so bad (laughs) for them. (laughs) So we're kind of already touching on this, but I want to get your feelings on the ending in general, what you thought about the people of the annex and some executive staff going down to the planet while Proctor took the investors away and his decision to stay. I liked it. I think I'm also curious about the status of Earth and kind of how things were left. It would be interesting if they got all the way back there and it was equally as inhospitable or more so than Callus. That would kind of be icing on the investor cake or maybe they get back there and they can just be colonists of that place i don't know it was an interesting way to separate the i don't want to call it classes but i guess it kind of is that and it's a different type of classes too because again like you were just saying with anthony like 
the the boy of the annex is really a biological soil biologist yeah Yeah. like he has skills right he's just not a famous actor or you know whatever that could afford the ticket to get on here right which makes me feel like the colony on callus is gonna do a lot better than whatever they end up getting to if when they go back to earth i do just enjoy on the whole the eat the rich aspect (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of satisfying to have had that be proctor's goal how sneaky of him to lay the groundwork for all of these investors to get involved and he's truly believes in the mission like the ferryman title suggests and his previous job in the dreamscape all point to him being a really good i guess they call him director right he's yeah. just he knows what's supposed to happen he's getting everybody where they need to be and i don't know where i'm going with that other than i just i don't know it was satisfying to have that be the way it was left because it would be really disappointing if all of the people on Orianus had woken up and were down on Callus and the same situation happened. Like it just falls back into the norm. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bow being oh, yeah. we're gonna keep the investors separate because yeah, if you brought them down to Rhinos or sorry to Callus, it would be a nightmare. 100% yeah. because they were terrible to the people. And, they, and what are they bringing to the table other than money, which doesn't mean anything in right, a new yeah. planet? Like thank, that's... You for, thank you for your money. Right. So it, it was a little bit of a bow that that happened, but I'm okay with it because it also makes sense. Like the fact that Proctor thought of that does make sense because obviously issues would happen even if you weren't stuck in the dream space for an extra 150 right. years. Obviously, they're probably... Yeah been terrible things going on i don't believe he's bringing them back to colonize earth i think that's just like we'll go there and see what's going on because i assume they took all the like they talk about quinn and thea when they're walking around they like have warehouses full of like excavators and all this different stuff i assume all that stuff is gone so they're just like well we're gonna i i think he just didn't know where else to bring them which is interesting too because you almost think like you would want to try to find two places like right i'm sure when they found kalis it was a big deal finding yeah that would be a hospitable world and sure, they don't expect to just bounce onto another one, but it did seem like he was just kind of like, well, I've got to do something with them. And it'd probably be a bad thing if we just orbited Callus until we like fell. So let's just <laughs> go back to Earth and, and see what's up well, there. You know? So I also got the impression that going back to Earth didn't necessarily mean habiting Earth again, because at that point in time, humans on Earth had already expanded to colonize immediate vicinity planets yeah. like weren't wasn't there like a lunar colony and there was some other thing and like mars too yeah and mars yeah. yeah so i imagine he'd be bringing them back to like earth general <laughs> <laughs> the milk, or whatever what do we call it? the milky, milky way Betty, is that us yeah <laughs> sure um but like that You're would scientists. be more <laughs> yeah not authors not scientists that that would be more applicable in terms of an actual if he plans on waking them up at all also not for nothing this spaceship they're on has gone long beyond what it was supposed to what it was built for in terms of when it got to Callus orbiting i'm thinking of so many other things that we've watched and read like the like the martian that ship like only has a certain amount of fuel to do a certain amount of a trip like what is this spaceship that it can just be like oh i guess we'll just go back to earth now like maybe we'll we'll make it solar sails or something who knows sure but like 
And bodies, bodies in stasis don't need oxygen, they said, you know. Like, oh, yeah, they just figured it did, all out. He did say that he expects, I think they, would they say, they had like a 3% loss during their time on of the people. travel there plus, and he expects it to be a lot worse. Like stuff's going to break down and people will just yes. be, again, one day they're there and then the next second they're gone and eventually their memory will fade too. Well, and what if there's like, not even on the ship externally speaking what if there's i don't know they run well what if something's in the way what if they run into space junk and one of their sails gets broken and then they can't even go anymore and then it's just a giant coffin then it would have been a 1000 page story yeah (laughs) for sure what, what did you think about proctor's decision to go back with them i think it made sense because i think that the fact that everybody, all the colonists in the annex woke up and knew what the fuck was up and knew that he was the architect of them having lived the last however many hundreds of years in a dreamscape in a shitty state, it probably would take them a long time if they ever got there to recognize that, I don't want to say he did them a favor because that's very condescending, but the way that he did it benefited them in the long term in terms of putting them in this dreamscape and making them hungry for what they would be waking up to. So I I don't know that everybody would have gotten there, and I think that would have been a pretty terrible way for him to have lived. And yeah, sure, maybe that's sort of a penance thing or a karmic retribution kind of thing. But at the same time, dude just wants to live his life and live with his wife and his daughter. And this is kind of the perfect bow for him to be able to do that in the way that makes him happiest. Yeah, I can see it being like Wild Seed. Um, mm. I don't know about Xavier Butler, where the woman in that, uh, who has the power of the life, the longevity. On Yanwu? It sounds familiar. <laughs> she she had all those extra powers and she would go through phases where she was both loved and then like treated as a witch, right? And she would have to like move tribes basically and, and find her people again, even though these people were all her people. Like I, I could see Proctor kind of experiencing that where like he mm-hmm. would go down to the planet and maybe he would be accepted, but probably not. So he'd probably spend his life as like a, a recluse. A yeah. A, a <laughs> A recluse. A recluse, yeah. I thought you said a French goose, and I was like, I don't know what French goose have to do with this. <laughs> but yeah, he'd have to live as a French goose. So. Oui. <laughs> uh, part of me saw what he was doing as a penance for what he did, like understanding, first of all, yes, it went on almost twice as long as he had initially planned, but yes, it was his idea to put those people through it. So part of me saw it as a penance for that, but the other side of me saw maybe... Maybe when they were doing this initially, he didn't believe that they could bring Kaylee in mm. to the dream. So seeing that Elise could do that when she was the designer, I could see that being something for him because obviously he still has such a strong connection to her and, and feels that loss. Uh, and if you think about it, even though he's cryoslept for all these years, really it's like a couple months old in his real time. I can see that being a driving thing where it's like, I can get my family back. And like, yes. I feel like that no, happens totally. a lot in stories where, like I said, in spoilers, they're celebrating her eighth birthday. I assume he brought her back. He says he remembers holding her in the palm of his hand. Like, I, so I assume he brought oh, her Oh, like back. right from birth. Yeah. Or at least like four, like, because I, I, I assume, I don't know. I don't know when he brought her back, but I, I, it wasn't like he brought her back at eight. It seemed like 
he wanted to have her growing up with them and have the, all the experiences again. And this was his chance to do that. And we don't know what happens in the dream. You know, it's not as detailed. It's a few pages instead of 400. So who knows if they reiterate or come back or what, but he got a chance to live the life he wanted with Elise the way she was before when they were so in love and they, you know, love at first sight, their crazy connection and Kaylee. And I, I see it as him saying, okay, it's going to be a penance, but also it's what I want. Like I, I need, it's my turn to rest. Kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I am curious now that you mentioned that about her age. I just assumed that he started her at eight. I don't know why, maybe because we got such a small snippet. But I do wonder, and I don't remember there being any reference to this, but if she doesn't have a scar, then she would have, I think he probably would have started out with her as a newborn. And that traumatic event that actually killed her in real life and ended her up with the scar in Elise's version of her wouldn't exist in his because he would have I don't know I don't remember I don't know that's what I'm wondering I'm gonna look it up (laughs) we now take a pause to reread the entire book we'll see you guys (laughs) (laughs) well I mean that's just like something that I think I agree with you that he he sees this as a way to to have what he always wanted you know yeah, absolutely. Again, it was like I, I, I teared up a little bit with that where they were celebrating her eighth birthday on the boat. And so cute. He takes her out sailing and he talks about how like this moment he's creating a uh what do they call those? Foundational memory or whatever it is. Like core. Core, core memory. memory. Thank you. Yeah. That he can see that this is a core memory for her. You know, it was my eighth birthday and my dad let me take control of the boat and like I sailed us out and then we rested and looked up at the sky for the faces in the sky, which I thought was a cute touch. So cute. Where she can see all the people that love her in the stars in the sky, because that is how he created this dream. And just another point on his dream, like it's not Prospera in the annex. This is like he creates a school and I, I bet he loved like the the two I forget which it was like Nibor or like Nilbor or something like that I forget the guy's name and then the woman I know who you're talking about yeah. yeah the the guy and the woman who were kind of a pain in the ass to him he's like he started them off as children and they're back in school and he's like you know what your penance is going to be you're going to be friends you're going to if I see one of you without the other it's going to be a problem and he's like basically the principal of the school and handling these people i'd be interested to see how he decided who to bring back as what in that scenario as well because obviously i think he had some fun with it i also think it's interesting that he in this version of of him running the dreamscape he's a teacher and in the original elise's version of the dreamscape when he's considering not being a ferryman anymore he's like maybe i'll teach and then he's like why am i even thinking that i've never taught anything like yeah that was funny that was a cute little come around. And then a nod when he's teaching um, Kaylee the next day, how to swim. He's like, is how this a swim? And then, yeah, this is pretty fun. Getting to the people on Callus, I thought Thea telling us she's pregnant was too many bows. That was like bows on bows. I was like, okay, come on. Yeah. And I don't think that that really, it didn't really do a whole lot for me for the story. Like, I guess I appreciate that in that regard there's a little bit of proctor staying on the new world yeah um but the fact that he doesn't even he strikes me as a john Crichton type of person where like if he knew he had a kid he He would be like no i'm not leaving yeah and maybe that was thea's way of of recognizing that 
not what was more important to him, but giving him that gift of you get to be with your daughter and your wife indefinitely, so to speak. Whereas this would be a new and different thing, maybe sort of forcing you to make a decision that you don't want to make or whatever. And again, being a French goose down there might not be the best situation for him. So I can see how she <sighs> understood the whole picture. Not only that, but like <laughs> if he was there <laughs> being a French goose and she had to, you know, and he was there because she was pregnant. Like, what would that have done for her? Would she also have to be a French goose because people know that she's pregnant with his kid? Like, would that make her into something too much for everybody to handle? Or, you know, at this point, she could just be like, oh, it's, you know. Whoever's. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know how long, how far along she is. And it's interesting that Pappy's the one that calls her out on it and how like Pappy is this just regular guy. He's not this blind artist. He doesn't even think anymore. Uh, but that was another thing with the connections we talked about, how like Malcolm gets with Cynthia, they get married again. But with Pappy, Pappy was with Claire for 30 years and they're kind of, they could still be compatible in this new world. And he's like, we spent a lifetime together. And that, that was enough. We're, like, good. we're still close, but like that was, we were right in that world. And here we're, we're going to experience something else. And how he talks about how he like misses being blind almost because he yeah. saw, he felt he saw more truths because uh, he was probably smoking grass, but <laughs> you know, dri- dripping those mushrooms, but doing he, the pot, he thought he saw more truths that way or got so accustomed to it. Like it was interesting to see how I liked people the change. idea that the dream stayed with people. Yeah. Like because then they do have those recollections of both the good and the bad. And it'd be interesting to like, just think about if you like we can't remember our dreams and I think it's to protect us because you know unless you really hold on to it yeah they're fucked up like what is your where is your mind going yeah so just imagine remembering a lifetime plus you know of dreams and then what what would happen to you afterwards when you again you come back you're like happy I was dead I was old I was blind now I'm this 30 year old hail man like what is going on well, and what kind of like dysmorphia that would create in you of being like, I don't remember, like you think of something and you're like, was that from my other life, my dream life or my real life or what have you? And I wonder how many of those people in the dreamscape had a similar life to their own. Like, I mean, not that Warren's there, but <laughs> Warren would be a good example where like he was a doctor in the dreamscape and is a doctor, would have been a doctor had he gone down to the new planet like how similar his personality was and his situation was Callista, I guess is another good example, but I do think that the, I guess dysmorphia is the perfect term for it would have, would be very affecting. Like that would, that would really alter how you go about your everyday life. If you're constantly mi- not misremembering, but you know what I mean? Remembering things from something that doesn't exist. Well, and I think it'd be tough too. And they touch on that, like kind of, they brush over where they're like people had to get down to business so like things were hot for a while and then we kind of got right. ahead with it but like think about it like in i don't know like i don't want to use real people <laughs> right mm-hmm. but like think think of it like if the group from friends went right and ross and rachel are really married in real life but in the dreams case ross and monica are married right and then you come out of that and you're like fuck i was married to my oh my sister. god we're like, sisters right? yeah, yeah. Like, sister and brother how do you go back to your marriage knowing that you yeah like, what if you never connected like there are those beautiful moments with malcolm and cynthia where it's like we found each other again I'm sure there was a ton where it was like, we didn't find each other, you know, or I treated them like shit. And now it's like, oh, that's my <sighs> kid. Like, what the fuck? 
yeah that's a really good point that would be very very strange and off-putting i do think that there was that really interesting so like cynthia in the dreamscape is proctor's ward mother and in the prologue when she is committing suicide air quotes and she's like waiting for the drone to come on and watch her doing all of this it was really interesting to know that quinn was the one that witnessed all of this happen and that was sort of like his catalyst for realizing that what he was doing in prospera because he was a prosperin and he's this like computer genius guy that that flipped a switch in him and then he kind of like converted over and it's interesting because not he was a membership of like the leader or a member of the leadership team so it kind of makes sense that he would stay he wasn't part of the investor scenario that stays on on the ship but do you know what I'm going at there? Well, and they did mention that in a blurb where they said, like, they they t- they had people of the annex able to vouch for a lot of the executive staff that stayed that they were, like, the double agents. Because another one was yes, Una. like Thea, too. Thea, and then Una, his secretary. Yes. Uh, Proctor's secretary was really the, like, director of personnel or something like that for the executive board or whatever. But she was sneaking... She was the one who had the layout of the nursery, who got right. it to his the son to prosper. Yeah, yeah, who got it to his nanny, who to gave it proctor. to uh, sorry to his his maid, who gave it to her son to give it to him when he hugged yeah. him, thing so he could get out. And then and then Sandra or whatever Sandra, her name was, yeah, yeah, the crazy yoga lady uh, who's just a nutball. She was really one of us. So one I did, I, I did like that they sold that, uh, and that it made sense. Like it's almost like they knew that Prospero was wrong somehow. And they knew exactly. they get involved with the arrivalists, with, with the with the real people, you know? It, it was like it, a it subconscious nice thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's showing their true colors. 100%. Right. Quinn was a super cool character. I liked that he ended up being the the old man that tried to give him the book of arrival uh, on oh, the yeah. bus when, when Proctor has his breakdown kind of early on, that that's also Quinn. Like you just said that he was the one that witnessed his mother's attempted suicide. And he even realized that she faked it yes and, uh, and then, then sought he, like, her out her down because yeah. he wanted to know why and then her yeah. reasoning of why brought him on board there is again just a lot of those cool moments and then obviously is malcolm oh malcolm turns out in real life is proctor's older he's brother and brother. he's like much older he's like 12 or like, 13 years ten, old yeah now. i was gonna say over so he's exactly. kind of a father figure to him anyway and then they had that connection in the world like it's just yeah. such a that is such a cool correlation that I can understand having an older brother that you look up to. It makes sense. And like having that be a father figure in another world. But I also appreciated the tie-in of his telescope. Where mm. that was such a big thing for Proctor when he first came to start living with them. And that was their first connection, like that first night. Like you can look up at the stars and see all this stuff. And then we learned that that was at the party. They had like the telescope focused on Callus, the, the great blue star and all this stuff. So I, I really liked how, again, those parallels of hundreds of years, but really just who I am in the real world compared to who I was in the dreamscape still made sense. Well, not only that, but like the sort of echoes, to use a term that they do, with the the real project of colonizing another planet and the ship and the, you know, he kept dreaming of... Of like a seafaring vessel called the Oranos or Orion, whatever. <laughs> um, and it just all of those parallels where like it makes total sense that the dream that Elise is creating for everybody would have nods to or throwbacks to what's sort of actually going on. And just the that, that was 
while I was reading it, something that I was like trying to piece together, I was like string walling <laughs> with all the little crumbs and being like, oh, maybe this has to do with that. And it all just tracks. He does such a good job creating this space that was not really a space, but was a space, but is, a, you know. <laughs> Well, and then, you know, on that point, like how we talked about it earlier, how Proctor and his dreaming and how that kind of also led us to breadcrumbs where like he's dreaming and then he's seeing himself standing outside in his yard, looking up at the stars and saying like, the stars are wrong. You know, the stars are wrong. Look up. Like what is wrong? Like wake up literally. And he's thinking I need to wake up from the dream, but really I need to wake up from the dream in whole because this has gone on too long like, on too long exactly part of him was subconsciously trying to push him out of this because he knew something was wrong and again as you're reading it you're just thinking like something's wrong here With not him. something's wrong yeah here yeah. and everything it was oh man there's so many layers to it like i'm sure this is another one that you read again and you're like ah, oh, pick up on different know? things yeah. yeah i was like starting to try to explain this to barry and then i was like okay actually i shouldn't because like if i try to explain it it's going to ruin a whole bunch of stuff. And trying to explain it is borderline impossible. I was like, it's a dream, but it's not a dream. But it is a dream, and it's not a dream. It's also, it's a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you got it. I think you got it. Okay, all. cool. That's it. Spoilers, done. <laughs> 100%. One thing I wanted to touch on was during their confrontation, first of all, hilarious that when Proctor decides to go back into the dream, Quinn is like, I'll get you, I can get you on his lap if you want, whatever. Oh my God, <laughs> not like, even close. Matrix is back in half a mile off. Uh, that was just a cute little moment, but with his And then when she wants to go back in and he's like, I did not do that right last time. <laughs> he's like, well, if I get it right this time, otherwise you get hit by a very fast moving vehicle. Yeah. But and then he, she breaks her legs. Yes. But the conf- uh, confrontation he has with Otto, where... He mentions, and I, I think I read this right, so maybe I didn't, but doesn't he say that this is, he said before, I think when talking to Callista, this has happened before, right? This has happened before, like the annex rising up and you know, we just have to like get through it. We'll, we'll get him back in line. And then when he's talking later on to Proctor, he's like, we just need to reset her. This is like the fifth or sixth time this has happened. Anytime she remembers her daughter, if we things go to share. She, you know, the weather starts going to shit and everything starts happening. But once we get her reiterated, she'll be fine. Right? Like, that was a crazy fucking thing. Okay. Yeah, no, that's also how I read it, that they, they'd they done it. They dealt with this before. But every it almost sounded to me like they reiterate her and, like, kind of everybody starts fresh. Because, like, if they're the only ones that are remembering that this has happened before with Elise... Well, I mean, they are also the only ones that know that Elise is doing what she's doing. But I would think it would also be a refresh for everyone. It's like turning it off and on again. Well, that and that was kind of my question, because I think he even mentioned it's happening like quicker and quicker because this is like their fifth. If you, it is the fifth or sixth, they've been reorbiting or been orbiting Callus for I think they said like 140, 150 years. A long years time. But even still, if you've done it five times, like that means like she only gets to like 40s and they have to reiterator so like you're saying like it would it would have to be that they're doing everyone otherwise the fact that like she went in and proctor went in and they still found each other like they had those like soulmate connection it felt like where yeah. they would always find each other so uh, yeah that again not explained but i just think it's crazy that Otto's thinking is like well we'll just reset her again and then obviously this time he's saying i i, I forget the word they use but basically he's setting them up for erasure 
uh, anybody who's getting reiterated, meaning Callista and Warren and Elise, so that he can take over the dreamscape and do whatever he wants with it. So and I he- assumed that, okay, so I assumed that that meant he was like, and this can't be right, but that he was going to like not let them back into the dreamscape. That's how I took it. Okay. 100%. Basically, and to, they would then go into what Proctor talked about, where they would have the like- Bad dreams, where yeah, they like just like five spiral. five to seven years of terror nightmares, and then eventually- yeah. From that. that sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, great guy that. Yes, by bad dreams. Like, bleh. no, thank you. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up was the arrivalist, like, religion aspect, like, kept me really off balance a few times because I was really trying to put, I think, more emphasis on the narrative, actual, like, figuring out what was actually going on on that than was in reality does that make sense like i assumed it had a bigger role to play than it did well because it made sense in a way right that you would be arriving you're arriving to cal oh totally so like it, it made sense in a way but yeah i can see where and like they had the the protected pamphlet or whatever they had that <laughs> i like i bookmarked that page because i was like all right this is super interesting that they're they're considering this to be sort of a religious text if you will and it looks like it could have come from the actual waking world right which is what confused me like how how would there not be bleed over if elise was so deeply rooted in the process of the waking world and the building of the ship and and you know her husband is the director of this whole project how would that not have bled in more and why was it only bleeding in in the part of the world where the dreamscape where she didn't have as much of a role which would be the annex like is that another part of proctor bleeding in unbeknownst yeah, to everybody something to believe in i mean he does say that the annex is his like baby basically that's what i mean like is this something that maybe he like either planted purposefully but doesn't remember because dreamscape proctor is a different person or is it something that just kind of happens do you get what i mean i think possibly i he probably knows like he is a smart guy like they need something to believe in so sure give you that start base of religion that you can go on uh, you know, I don't know if he knows how they're going to grab it and run with it, but I don't know. Well, I could see it. Yeah. I could see it being something he would do. Like when they get to the antechamber or before that, I guess, when they get to Orionos all by themselves, when it is depicted as a large sailing ship and like they have the USA Today and he's reading that. And it's basically kind of saying similar things to what that pamphlet said. Like, I guess it would make sense that there were, I don't know, clues maybe left in there to kind of explain what's going on. Because even there, even if you're in the annex, like I was saying before, like I thought it was just a biosphere or something like separated right. still on Earth. So they would probably need something to help explain why they are where they are. And maybe that's right. kind of what that was doing in there. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that one. Yeah, that part like just I think kept throwing me off too because I was like expecting it to have a larger role in the explanation. Yeah. I mean it does, don't get me wrong. It's like a hint at the at the whole spaceship scenario and and arriving and colonizing and and so forth, but yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I did love how his last words were to his mother, Cynthia, who he thought was his mother, were you are arriving or something like that as he was bleeding out. I thought that was a nice touch. Oh yeah. 
or arrival come, whatever their little mm-hmm. saying arrival is. come, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I feel like there's just so much to cover. I don't know if we covered all of it. Likely we did not, but Likely I mean we did not. Um hopefully spoilers covered it. But yeah, I, I think that's all I have. I I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to touch on. I don't think so. So a lot there. I think we maybe wandered a little bit once or twice. I definitely know I did. Uh, Hopefully you guys made it understandable. We'll see in the editing process. But uh, that is going to be it for this book for spoilers. So we are going to move out of spoilers and moving out of spoilers, but not quite away from the book. We have to finish off by giving it our grade. And we do this based on D&D D20 scale. One is bad, 20 is good. And then we add or subtract a ability or characteristic from from Drinking and Dragons. (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons. uh, TM, TM, TM. The game. Yes, very many TMs on top of that. (laughs) So uh, we alternate every episode. This episode, it is my turn to go first. And I was waffling a bit on this one. I had this down as a 19 and a half. Oh, uh, because yeah. as I touched on when I don't want to give anything away that we talked about in spoilers, but when a certain reveal happened, I gave out a baby sigh and I was like, is that baby sigh enough? I'm going to say it wasn't enough. So I am going to round up to a natural 20 on this one. And I think for a couple different reasons. One, I went into this book with super high expectations. I found out this book was coming out. I saw a like Q&A he did, uh, Justin Cronin did on Goodreads for it. I read like three of the things and I was like, I'm sold. I like, I didn't really know what it was about. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I didn't read the jacket. I mean, I even the jacket doesn't give you. Well, I just meant like, I was, I was just knew I was in, right. Yes. I was like, Justin Cronin, I'm in. We've talked about the passes so much. I was like, I really want to cover this. I knew it was a chonky boy, especially for a surprise book. That's why we kind of talked about it beforehand. Like I showed <laughs> you some of the pages, be like, look, it's like <laughs> decent margins. Like I think it'll be okay, but it is 500 and something pages when we have both said the last couple episodes we've been struggling to read. I did uh, not struggle to read like, Feeling that, that moment. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is too. So it had high expectations. I wasn't like in my mode of last year, I'm going to read a hundred books. So I'm picking yeah. up this every time. And this thing, I flew through it. It was, I think it dealt with a lot of complicated ideas and details and things that could easily get you lost. And maybe we didn't touch on that in spoilers. There were a couple feisty and trolls Mm. that I think got cleaned up a little bit better kind of as you went on. You were like, okay, that made sense. Now I understand where we're at or whatever. This kind of, it's a weird little like dip down in how we connected those dots, but we still got there. And when you think overall of, all the different things he was trying to do here and explain to you and new ideas. There were some old tropes that had new ideas in them and how he was able to get that across. And again, didn't want to put it down. Another book where you're, you're reading it and you, when you do put it down, you're like, Oh, what was that? Like, what was that show I was watching? Not the show. It was the book you were reading, pick it back up, get back into the story. (laughs) Like very easy to picture again, even with all the complicated things that were going on, the character development was huge. I felt connected with a lot of the different ones and and understood both the good and the bad where they were coming from. Like this guy is doing this for these reasons. That makes sense. This guy is doing it for this reason. That makes sense. This woman wants to see the world a different way. I understand why, Um, which again, is just something he did very well in the past series. So it's not surprising that he did it again here. I do wonder with taking seven years between publications, like how long this book took him to write. Um, I can only imagine the complexity of this. Like, Yeah, this isn't just something you come up with overnight. So a lot of powerful things went into it. And again, to to be a nickel and dimer with my natural 20s, I just feel like I shouldn't do that. So I'm going to give it a nat 20. 
I'm going to give it a plus two for insight. And I went with insight here because I think it makes sense as Proctor is trying to figure out what's going on. The reader is also trying to figure out what's going on. And we're trying to put all these things together. And it does take some thinking on your part to connect some dots and know where you are at certain points. But all in all, it's a very linear flow of this happened, this happened, this is why. And even if you're jumping back and forth about whether or not something is really existing or not, it all makes sense in the end. So I think Proctor used his insight to figure out what was going on in his world. And uh, some other people kind of used the insight. They looked inside and find, kind of knew what to do, you know, what was right to do in the moment and, and were better for it. So for me, it's going to be overall a 22 uh, on this one. It definitely had high expectations and lived up to them. Uh, yep. <laughs> I agree with everything you've just said. I think that I had zero expectations about this. Well, I shouldn't say zero, but I didn't even know that he'd written another book. This was one of the surprise ones that was super exciting because we both love the passage so much. And I mean, even on the back, the first like three, I think you mentioned this last time, yeah. the first three accolades are from Stephen King, Andy Weir, and Blake Crouch. And there were a lot of really great Justin Cronin specific style of writing, but then also some Blake Crouch moments where crazy shit was happening and still coming together. I read it in five days. I mean, we were both like, wow, this is really chunky. I don't know if we'll be able to manage this. And then I was done in like a flash. I think um, I looked at you like two days in or something like that. You were at 300 something. I was like, oh, okay, we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't hurt that I started reading it on a weekend kind of situation. And then football was on and it gives me not an excuse to read, but like it's easy to do the reading when I don't have other things to be doing. And it was, yeah, as you said, just the complexity of it while still being done in a linear enough way to be followable, to keep you guessing, to keep you interested, the characters and the world building. I mean, it's not just one world he built. He built multiple worlds and they were all, they all made sense layered over top of each other in a, in a way. It was like an onion. It was like reading an onion. See, I'm also giving it a nat 20. <laughs> I'm going to give it a plus two. I wrote down deception, which insight makes more sense to me now hearing your explanation. But I had deception because it felt like as a reader, not that it was purposefully done, but I felt deceived at more than one point about me thinking I had the situation on lock and I didn't. Or something, some, reading something and me changing my opinion about what was really going on. So yeah, I think that that kind of fits. So I'm going with the 22. So that almost goes back to the devotion of Suspect X from last episode where you're saying deception because you are giving credit to the person who made the problem. And I'm saying insight because I'm going with the person who solved the problem. So. There you go. Yeah, you go. that's exactly right. Another full circle. Double 22s. That is going to be tough to beat. Last year's high score book was Man Called Uve, which was <sighs> double 23s. So, well, I will say to, to credit again, this book, I was partway through and had already told like two or three people about it that are not in my normal like, I mean, obviously, Barry knows that I'm reading it and I talked about it profusely while I was going through it. But there were even a few people that I was like, I'm reading this book right now and it's blowing my damn mind. Yes. And 
yeah, it was really good. It is something that I would like to see get more credit, kind of the same way with The Passage. Like, I fell on The Passage because I had seen the show and I wanted to know more. And that's why I started reading that. Like, I feel like Justin Cronin does not get enough credit for how good of an author he is. Those books are equal parts mind-blowing and amazing. And again, I think I said it before, maybe when we've talked about the passage in the past, but that book and that series of books takes place over generations. And you're getting such a wide-reaching story. And this feels similarly affecting in that it is so much time not necessarily condensed but kind of yeah it's like a concentrated story and you're and you're you're not getting lost in the time periods or you know it's not getting confusing but it's just so epic yeah 100 <laughs> uh so one last time it is the ferryman by justin cronin uh that you've been listening to us gush to for the last two hours uh and that is a solid 22 uh so Pick it up uh, or we will give you our copies, but be gentle. They're first editions and obviously they'll be worth millions of dollars someday. Millions. Millions. Uh, so on that note, we've got to finish off with our usual segments. And we start with current selection. Uh, Taja, what have you been listening to or reading lately? Well, I've started listening to Patrick Stewart's memoir, Making It So. <laughs> Which he narrates, right? Which he narrates. Nice. Um, and it's lovely. He's great. I, I mean, like, he's great, end of sentence, stop, but also, stop. yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a really great narrator because, of course, his voice is lovely. Um, it is weird. I listen to my audiobooks at, like, 1.8 speed. So, like, he does sound a little different and things are a little, not squeaky, but it things are a little strange. But he's a really great writer, um, which is not that surprising. I think he is very humbled by the experience of having written this book and and how well it's being received, which I think is so cute and just makes me love him more. But there's been moments like I'm driving around in my car listening to this book and I'm like laughing out loud. There was a moment the other day where I like started to cry a little bit and like he's good and I'm really loving it and I'm excited. I follow him on socials and Mm -hmm. he was saying he's very excited to go on his book tour because his one prerequisite was that he got to ride trains everywhere, which we know. from He's a train spotter. He what? He's a train spotter. When he was a little kid, he would like go to like this one spot in his town and watch trains with his friends. And he like there were certain trains that had names on them. And he was like on this choir trip one time and touched the nameplate of this one, the Mallard train. He's a train nerd. He is. We knew that from Dragon Con because he was so he was so excited to tell us at the panel that he took a train there and back and he was just happy that he gets to travel the world that way. So I thought it was funny that that was his one prerequisite to do a book tour was that he had to travel everywhere by trains. That totally tracks. Also, also, I follow him on the socials, too, and I've seen that he'll go in wherever his book tour situation places him. He'll, like, pop into a Barnes & Noble or some other store and just, like, secretly sign the books that are there of his, and it's so cute. I love him so much. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda does that as well, and I think, like, that would be the whole reason to have a book at this point. Oh, my God, right? Just so I could just sign them secretly and then probably get thrown out for vandalizing books. (laughs) (laughs) You're not Russ McDougal. You're not Rush McDougally. <laughs> uh, anything else that you wanted to cover? I think that that's. Oh well, I started reading Sins of Empire. Shit. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Sins I saw of it Empire. On the Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, but then I 
it's not that I'm not liking it. I'm just not after I like devoured this book, I've been sort of like petering back into my my slump. But I'm still I'm I'm getting through it. I should probably not have picked such a chunky boy after a chunky boy, but here we are. Yeah, that is something I'm looking at too. I'm like, oh, what do I read now? Like honestly, I felt the urge to pick up a book yesterday and I was like, I don't and I feel like I still got a little jumbled on the ferryman. But I was like, I don't want to yet. Not again. I always try to like wait till we cover the book we read before I get back into it. Not that I think anything else would confuse me with this, but you never know. Well, that's the thing. I was like, if I'm going to read a book, it's going to be something like Sins of Empires, very different. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't think I would get anything confused, but it's still very chunky. Indeed. Uh, for me, I actually went on a book buying spree this past two weeks because we had talked. Our hopper was empty. Our hopper is overflowing. No. We even touched on how both of us were kind of running out of surprise books. I have since found two. You're up to like four now. Next time we meet, there'll be a great handoff of covered books. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I bought a ton of books and that that brought me into the bookstore. And I found some other things that caught my eye. And one of them, I decided to jump ahead on my TBR because it looked like an easy read and it sounded interesting. I've always been a big Sherlock Holmes nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, I've really enjoyed his kind of the way he deduces things and how that's shown in different mediums both in writing and also in the shows and t- and movies and all that so this is a book called Moriarty mm. and it takes place after Holmes and Moriarty jump into the falls in mm-hmm. uh, in that place that There's one the- where they do that yeah that one where they do that Switzerland yep. Austria whatever it was and yep. it's well, I wanted it to be more oh bummer um like it just didn't it had a big twist at the end. By the time we got there, I didn't really care anymore about it. It just didn't hold my interest enough. It felt like it got too like period piece, but like too down in the minutia that I didn't care. Some of the, oh. like, you, know, you know, sometimes they like use the old words and it seems like they're just doing it to be like, well, I know this is the word they would use. And it's like, cool. But that also like fucks up how I'm reading it. Like it, yeah. it takes you back a bit. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't put it. you in. It removes you from the. It's, yeah. It's like, I get it. That's probably how they would have said it. But it's also weird for me to like jump into Maybe. that over and over yeah. again. So it um, wasn't the best experience. It has already gone to the book exchange. There's no need for that book to be mentioned (laughs) out there to be mentioned for anything else. So that was the one I read. And then I've just been, I haven't really been home much. So even the ferryman, I didn't finish until Thursday morning. So I sent you an apology note with our rundown. (laughs) Hey, sorry, I'm a day late on this, but I want to jump into something else, but I didn't want to go crazy, but I'm excited to get into something probably not today because I am very many uh whiskey's deep johnny walker's in <laughs> probably tomorrow we'll get it johnny into walked right into that one right hey <laughs> <laughs> you say french goose uh, i did i did so say french goose. on that note we move to random recommendation which taj is going to handle this episode because i am obviously incapable at this point so my my random recommendation is one that i also just finished um listening to which is the dragon blood omnibus so it's books one through three of the dragon blood series by Lindsay burkor and it's an interesting read they I, I i guess listen to it was an interesting listen to for me it's sort of like a world where magic is sort of long dead but also there's a prejudice against sorcerers or people who have dragon blood who can be um, magic users because science and technology have kind of taken over so there's airplanes and there's guns and there's all this stuff but then there's also some people who have this affinity for magic and they kind of have to be 
secret about it. Really interesting, fun characters. Um, there's a little touch of romance, which may not be for everyone, but it isn't like egregious. I think I mentioned at one point while it was one of my current reads or current selections that the romance aspect was a little bit like Romeo and Juliet-ish, like star-crossed lovers kind of thing. So both couples that are the main characters, I guess, are kind of coming from like different sides of of the fence, so to speak. And now the four of them, oh, in the third book, the four of them are kind of working together. And I'm I'm curious about the additional books in the series. I'm assuming there are more because it definitely left it open to that. It was fun. It was fun to listen to. The narrator was pretty good. It was not like the Kelcade books where I was like, I must know. Also, that narrator is like chef's kiss. He's the fucking best. Vic Podell. But yeah, those Kelcade books, I definitely like if that comes out, I will be buying that. But if I have a, you know, if I have a free credit on Audible, I might end up doing the next. I don't even know how many are in this series. So the next Dragon Blood thing will probably be on my list. But it was it was a fun read. I mean, there's dirigibles, there's airplanes, there's magic, there's this thing called a soul blade. So it's like a sword that a, a sorcerer yields but within that blade is the soul of another sorcerer who like towards the end of they like know they're gonna die and so they put their soul into this blade and they're able to like do magic but they're a sword and they can like telepathically talk with their sorcerer it's very interesting huh okay yeah anyway Uh, there's a lot going on (laughs) are there dragons not yet okay because the idea of dragons and dirigibles i think is very fun So here's the thing is the third book, like spoiler alert, basically ends with the possibility that dragon blood, which is titular, of course, exists as something that have come potentially come from a real dragon. But dragons have been dead for so long. So like TBD on there actually being dragons. Okay, we will keep our eyes open for that. Yes. (laughs) So check that out as Taja maybe continues that journey later on as well. But before we wrap this up, we have one more piece of business to get to. And that is what's on the next show. And we are definitely switching it up. We are going to go to historical fiction and see how that goes. So the book is The Sweetness of Water by Nathan Harris. This little blurb I pulled from the back, it unforgettably depicts the deep south in the violent crucible of reconstruction. An epic that locates humanity and love amid the most harrowing of circumstances. So the hopper has been refilled with all different kinds of thrillers, a couple historical fictions, some more fantasy, and then we have a ton of more uh, surprise books to get to. There's actually another book we were thinking of covering, but it kind of was a little bit too close to the ferryman. So we're thinking about breaking that up because we want to, you know, be able to tell the stories apart and also bring you guys new and exciting things. So um, that will be the next episode. That'll be in two weeks. We will bring you the sweetness of water. But until then, thanks for sticking around. This has been the 58th episode of the ABC on the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep Keep reading. reading.